created man, then he created woman to come alongside man to help him fulfill his calling to do what? To exercise dominion over the whole entire earth. We see that right in chapter 1. So when we begin this, this conversation, we, we see a couple things. One, we see that men and women are equal and they, they need each other, right? That's, that, that, that's a good thing to kind of start in. Uh, well, it doesn't always stay there, right, in terms of that which is good. Uh, we, we know that throughout the entire uh, scriptures, that was the first time we see that it is not good, right? It was good, it was good after each day, and then here it is not good. So there is something about that God is trying to draw to our attention the importance of man and woman. Well, in chapter 3, we, we see the fall. So in Genesis chapter 3, this is when things get challenging. So if chapter 1 is our aspiration, right, this is how we, chapters 1 and 2, we want to aspire to the how God created the world. Well, in chapter 3 is our reality. This is where we're living, and this is the hard reality. Look what it says in chapter 3. We see that man and uh, woman were tempted by uh, the serpent. The serpent took the fruit and ate, or the woman took the fruit from the, the serpent and ate and handed it to her husband who was right there with him. Both of them being tempted, uh, the husband not stepping up and protecting his wife, uh, the wife being deceived by uh, the evil one took the fruit and ate. And then sin came into the world. They hid from God and we see in verse um, 14 the consequences of that fall. Verse 14, the Lord God said to the serpent, uh, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity or war between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree in which I commanded you not, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Uh, I'm moving through this relatively quickly, but just a couple things I want to, to point out. Uh, there is now a war against woman. Uh, Satan uh, and this evil worldly system that stands against Christ and his word hates women. And it is actively trying to be a war against women. Uh, there is a war against women to demean, to demoralize, to devalue their role in this world, and in the life of the home, and in the life of the church. God has created woman to be a helper, and now instead of having the, that working naturally alongside her husband, there is a, there's a sin entered in the picture, and now it's not natural for a woman to, to be um, a helper in the world, kind of working with her. Now it works against her, so it's harder to be a helper in several ways. It's harder first to to raise a family. It's, it's harder to actually give birth to children, but not only to give birth, but to, to rear children. Uh, it, is, it is hard to rear children and all the things that come with it. This worldly system is working against them. But it's also you have this, this way that women function with authority. Uh, we see that the, some of the ways that women are, um, the war is set against women is because of the, the, the misused authority by men towards women. Uh, men uh, kind of struggle with two different kinds of 
sinful patterns of, of authority. We see the passivity, right, of even Adam here in the garden. He was passive. He, was, he, he, he laid back, right? He did not care and protect his wife. But we also see this idea of abusive side, right? There is something in, in our creative order that, that set in our fallen world that men are actively working hard to demean, demoralize, and devalue women in life. That's what we see in this scriptures. So sin has messed up our aspirations in chapter one and chapter two. And, uh, you know, I know that many of you coming into this room thinking about women in the life of the church and how you have maybe experienced uh, life, you're coming in this room with your own history and your own baggage, right, of how you have been uh, treated by the men in your life, by your, your fathers, uh, by your um, brothers, and by your uh, husbands, by your pastors, by your bosses. You're coming in with baggage, right? You're coming in with experiences, and you're going to filter everything I say through those experiences. When we want to filter everything in, this, in, 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 in how we view life through our own experiences, yes, but also through the, the Word of God. And how, we can, how can we understand and experience or um, reorient these experiences in light of God's Word? Calling sin, sin, and then understanding that because we have been sinned against, we may have a sinful response to that sin. So um, we see the creation, we see the fall, and number three, we see new creation, new creation. Let me just kind of read several verses for you. Um, the first, we, we see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is the foundation of everything I'm going to say uh, today, is that you are no longer in uh, Adam, you're no longer in Eve, you are now in Christ. And because you are in Christ, you are now a new uh, creation. We see that very clearly in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. So God created the world good, man fell into sin, and now God is going to recreate the world, right, in, in the, in the end, at the end of the age with his people, right, and the world will be perfect yet again. And until then, God has given us, as Christians, given us the Holy Spirit to, to make us new so that we live out this, the reality of that new life in Christ now, picturing that future reality. So you, as a Christian woman, and as, as a Christian man, you are now new creations in Christ. So your, primarily, your primary identity is not woman, it's Christ. You are a Christian woman, and you are a Christian man. And because of that, you now live differently than the rest of the world, because you are now a new creation, right? So that, that's foundational. And that all comes to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? We are in sin, and because we're in sin, we, we need a Savior. So God sent Jesus to live and to die on the cross, be dead and buried and be raised from the dead to give us a new life. And if you're here and you are not a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, let me plead with you, nothing I, I will say will make any sense to you unless you come to Christ, unless God takes that which is in you and makes it alive in him. We want you to follow Christ, so we pray that you would do so tonight. So you are new creations in Christ. And because you're, you're a new cre creation in Christ, you have now different responsibilities. So 1 Peter chapter 3, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. I'm going to be preaching on this text uh, next Sunday morning, so um, I'm not going to spend much time here, but just, just want to focus one, on one aspect. It says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. 
Uh, there's something in this new creative order that, that we need to understand that women are co-heirs in this kingdom of heaven, right? They are of extreme value and worth because they are co-heirs. They are going to reign with us for all time. This is part of that recreation that God has done through his spirit. You don't have to, to turn there, but while Paul speaks of uh, the women in his life, uh, in Philippians chapter 4, uh, he calls those women fellow workers, right? Laborers in the gospel of Christ. This, this same idea. They are co-heirs. They are going to inherit eternal life, but they're also co-laborers in the kingdom of God. Now, this is what God has, has wants us to do as because we're new creations in Christ. Remember, these are aspirations, right? Uh, I've, I've been praying uh, about this topic for, for several uh, months now, and it's, um, it's humbling, right? Because you realize, man, I, I, I got areas in my own life that I need to grow in in this area, how I love and serve and honor the women in my own life. None of us have it all figured out. None of us have it together. This is the, the great gift that God has given the church is that we are called to bear with one another, are we not? To carry each other's burdens and to help each other grow in Christ, right? To encourage and exhort one another until the day is drawing near to live out the call of the gospel of, of Christ. So we, we pray that that would happen even tonight, that we would grow more and more like Christ. Being a new creation in Christ, uh, women in, this, uh, in, in Christ are called to demonstrate good works. We'll look at this passage more in a second, but it's 1 Timothy chapter 2. It says women should dress or clothe themselves which what, with a woman who professes godliness with good works. Your life should be exemplified, the good works of Christ. Uh, women are disciples. Women are disciplers and teachers. We see that clearly in Titus chapter 2, right? That women are called to instruct the younger women to live for the Lord. Um, Ephesians chapter 5 talks how women uh, show the world how the church responds to Christ. Uh, we, we often look at maybe marriage as, 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 a, as a negative, women submit to your husbands, but when a woman submits properly to her husband, what it does is it radiates to the world uh, how the church responds to uh, the bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a beautiful thing. All that to say is that we should celebrate and rejoice in the women that God has, has given us, right? So in, in the church, when we, when we kind of think about this, this topic, there's kind of two aspects. There's the forest, and then there's the trees, the forest is the big 30,000-foot view looking out of an airplane, seeing a giant forest. And then there's the trees, the individual one-on-one -on -one things that you're going to be looking through. Okay, how does this work out practically in my own, in my own life? So let me kind of give this, do some forest talk and then talk about the trees. The forest, um, there's just a couple headings. Women are equal in the church. Women are equal in the church. Someone uh, uh, sent a question in, uh, a couple weeks ago asking, does God favor men? And the answer is no, God does not favor men. Women are equal in the life of the church. We saw that right there in Genesis uh, chapter 1. They are created in the image of, of God. They're equal of value in the church. Women are valuable to the church. That's a slightly different way of saying it, but not only are we equal, they're valuable. And this is what we want to communicate as, as elders, as me being uh, the, the, the main teaching elder here. We want to communicate time and time again the value and the, the worth of women in this church. If we think about that, I mean, the church is a family. And you can't have a family without women. You can't have mothers and sisters. I mean, that they're part of the family of God. And the challenge for our day is that women don't often feel valued in the church. They don't often feel that they are important in the church. Now, there, there are several reasons for that. Some may be their own experience. Uh, some may be that they're actually not being valued and not being honored. That is a reality in some churches. 
right? So we have to kind of, kind of wrestle with that. But just very clearly, that what the Bible teaches and what we are, are aspiring to in the life of this congregation, women are valuable and of extreme worth in our church. Not only are they valuable, they are indispensable. Our church would not exist without women, right? Right? I mean, we know in one sense, yes, if we have the gospel and all that, we, we, we will continue to be a church, but the church is a family, and we need mothers and sisters, and they are indispensable. So just hear me, women, my sisters. You are indispensable and valuable in the life of the church. Uh, I don't know how many, how many ways I can say it. You are uh, loved dearly. We rejoice in what God is doing in the life of the church. Uh, a few weeks ago, we spent time as, just as a staff thinking through all the different ways God is, is blessing our church through the women of our church. My goodness, the list just kept on going. I can just sit here, stand here today and look out and just say, my goodness, I see how this, this woman is serving and how this woman is caring and how this woman. There's, just, there's so many examples that, that I have, and we want to make sure that that is, that is taught loudly from this pulpit. Um, some frameworks, some forced frameworks. There's two broad frameworks when we think about life and women in the life of the church. You have two kind of general ideas. You have egalitarian and complementarian, egalitarian and complementarian. Uh, John uh, Whitaker kind of created a, a uh, kind of a list of terms. Uh, there's papers on the, on the outside and, and the back. You guys grab those later that kind of have things written out for you so that you can kind of help think through those. Uh, the egalitarian um, view, and then I'm going I'm to go quick and brief, so I'm not going to dive into a lot of these details here uh, in terms of scriptures, but the egalitarian view is, 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 is this, that men and women are created equal um, in, in, uh, in creation or in form and function, right? So they're created equal and they have the, the same roles, okay? That's the idea of egalitarian. The strong verse they, they come up with is uh, Galatians chapter 3, uh, 28 and 29, that there is no uh, slave or free uh, man or woman. Um, you know, we're all free in, uh, or free in Christ, right? So that's kind of one they, they, they anchor on. Um, we are not an egalitarian church. We are a complementarian church. Uh, so complementarian uh, says that men and women are created equal, um, maybe in form, right? Created in the image of God. You have to have different roles or functions, right? So they complement each other, right? So they're, they don't, they're not, the, the, we maybe highlight the, the differences, right? Where the egalitarians maybe highlight the sameness, right? So we are same. Complementarians would say amen and amen. We are created equal. We are same. And yet, we're different, right? We, we have different uh, roles in the life of, of the home and the, the church. Now, in complementarianism, there's kind of like two streams, right, that we kind of want to kind of see here. They're all kind of in the camp, right, of the larger uh, SBC Baptist worldview, right? Uh, so there's two, two views. There's broad and there's narrow. There's broad and there's narrow complementarianism. So let me just kind of help clarify this because this can be kind of confusing, right? Uh, this, the, the sheet that, that's being passed out will be helpful for you uh, afterward. Um, broad complementarian, it comes down to 1 Timothy chapter 2, and we'll kind of wrestle with that here in a second. And what 1 Timothy chapter 2 does, it broadly applies uh, what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2 to, to uh, women should not teach or exercise authority um, in the life uh, over, over men, that, that, that picture there is that um, men and women are created equal, different forms, and that broad complementary broadly applies that uh, beyond just the office of pastor. So a narrow complementarian, might be easier to start there, uh, says that 
um, men um, are called to, to lead in the home and in the church, right? So uh, a man is called to be the pastor, and they would agree with that, uh, but the narrow side would say that everything else would, would be open, right? So as long as a woman is not teaching uh, or exercising authority as an elder of the church, then that would be, that would be fine, okay? A broad complementarian would say uh, that even though you're not functioning as an elder pastor, if you are teaching or exercising authority over a man, that you'd be maybe going against that scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 2. So those are the kind of like the big, broad, broad strokes in terms of the framework. But we also have the trees in terms of our specific roles. And I think that you can, we can debate and argue that the forest in terms of the big picture type framework issues, but the, the issues that really get, get into our bones is the, is the trees, right? How do we live our lives? So let me just kind of say some general roles that women have in the life of the church. One, you're a Christian. I think, it, you know, we don't, I don't want to skip over that because that's what, you're a new creation in Christ. You are, you're one of the, the roles that God has given you in your life is you are a Christian. Uh, but you also are, are, but first you are in the member of the, of the church, you're a Christian sister, right? We, we see that in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Uh, Paul writes to Timothy, he says, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as a father, as older women, as mothers, and younger women, as sisters with all purity. And we need to treat and value our, our sisters. You know, if we had a sister in our own family, we're going to do what? We're going to listen. <laughs> we're going to love. We're going to care for, for them because they're, they're our family. And this is what we, as women in the church, they are our Christian sisters. You're also, many here are Christian wives. You're living your calling out as a Christian wife, and that has implications for how you live your own life. Christian mothers, you are a Christian person, and you are now living your life out as a Christian mother. You're a Christian friend, and how do I come alongside and support the friends in my life? Christian church members, right? Not just a Christian, largely big C, but a Christian church member. You are a member of this body as a Christian. Uh, so when you start thinking about those specific roles, that's what we want to kind of maybe dig into a little bit. Uh, when the questions that we received, um, there's, there's uh, a screen behind me. Uh, you can text questions even now during this talk if you want more clarification or anything. We'll, we'll kind of dig into that here in, in a moment. But let's just look at a, a couple of key texts that I've already mentioned, but I want to kind of spend a little bit more time on. So go to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Uh, and it, if you've already seen, there's lots of scriptures here, and there's lots of conversations that have happened on this issue for, for really centuries. So it's really hard to kind of uh, capture everything in, in a brief talk. So I really could probably do an eight-part series on this issue and not uh, dive to the bottom of it. So Titus chapter 2. Let me just kind of read 1 through 7 and just kind of see the, the value of women in the life of the church. It says, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine, Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-control, sound in faith and love and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works in your teaching. Show integrity and dignity and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an, opportunity may, uh, that an opportunity may be put to shame, having nothing to do, nothing evil to say about us. So what you see here is you see that women have a vital role in the life of the church. 
One, they're they're called to live godly lives, right? You see it very clearly. This is the the calling of an older woman or the calling of a younger woman is to live for the Lord, is to live and honor the Lord in every area of your life, right? So this is the, the calling. How do I live my life out as a Christian woman, right? And the passage kind of gives you some, some headings. And these aren't, aren't exhaustive, I don't think, but they are, they are, there are some, some points here. Uh, and one of the things we see is they are to train the younger women to, to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, to be pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, so that, what? That the word of God may not be reviled. There's something in the way women train younger, uh, older women train younger women that that the way they live and the way they teach and the way they train is that the word of God would not only be not reviled, but rejoiced in, right? This is how indispensable women are to the life of the church. How can, we want God's word to be honored in every area of life. And if women live out their calling as women in the body of Christ, as Christians, the way God has created you, you will do what? You will make the word of God adorned in the world. And that is a beautiful and glorious thing. And when you don't, the word of God is hampered. It, is, it might be reviled. It might be pushed aside. So you have the great potential, ladies, to, to highlight and adorn the word of God or maybe even to obscure it. 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, just for context. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, that you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in sufferings as a good shoulder in, in Christ Jesus. No soldier should get entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlists in him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything." Uh, that's a, maybe a, a verse right there in verse 7 that I would just encourage us to be wrestling with, right? To give listening to the words of the Scriptures and then asking the Spirit to give us understanding. Verse 8, remember Jesus Christ. I'm sorry, I'm reading the wrong passage. <laughs> I went through that pretty, pretty quickly. I'm like, this doesn't sound like what I was thinking about. Um, I should have taken a longer nap this afternoon. All right, all right. Uh, chapter 2, verse 1. Um, First Timothy, First Timothy chapter 2. Uh, first of all, then, I urge that supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and for all who are in high positions, that may we lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire then that in every place the men should pray. Notice that the, the then there is, is an implication of the, what was just said, this idea of, of praying uh, as well as the gospel, right? There is one meeting between God and men. So this is the essence of the Christian life and how men and women interact with each other in the local church is directly tied to the gospel. It's directly tied to being a new creation in Christ, to believing that, that there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. All of it flows from that. Then it says, I desire then that in every place that men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also, that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, 
with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness, with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Uh, she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Lots again, again, there's lots of things that I can kind of unpack here, but this is, for, for me, this is a key passage helping us understand how God has created uh, men and women in the life of the church. Uh, verse, chapter 3, verse 1 says, this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So Paul is teaching about the church, and he's going for men and women to pray. Then he goes right into the office of elder, talking about the man uh, God has called to lead the church, right? And his anchor of his argument is not culture. His anchor of his argument is creation. You know, notice what it says right there in verse 12. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For the reason was not rounded in the culture, but aspirational to Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Adam was formed first, then Eve. Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet, she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness and self-control. Uh, women are not going to be saved if they have children. That's not what it's meaning here. I think what Paul is, is drawing out is that a woman, uh, if they live their life uh, as a woman in honoring of the Lord, right, they will be saved, right? They're going to be saved because they are new creations in Christ, and because they're a new creation in Christ, they live in this world differently, okay? But for me, there's, a, there's an anchor there in God's creative order, right? There's something in God's creative order uh, in the home and in the church that radiates, that adorns, that magnifies the gospel, okay? So we see that not only here, but we also see that in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. So just kind of go back a few books and go to Ephesians 5 here, and you'll, you'll see this again. Uh, it says, chapter 5, verse 22, uh, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands, submit everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. He would present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy without blemish. Uh, jump down to verse um, uh, 31. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. He's talking about marriage there. This mystery is profound. And I'm, I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. Whoever let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So in the church, the order and structure of the church, right? Uh, men in leadership, uh, women coming alongside and, and serving, right? There's something in that, in the church and in the home, the husband being the head of the wife, that communicates God's creative design in the gospel, right? Because it says here in Genesis chapter 2, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And that one flesh union pictures, or is kind of like a, a window in which we see the gospel, where Christ laid down his life for his bride, the church, right? So there's something in God's creative order that he wants us to reflect in the home and in the church so that people can see through those things to the glorious gospel. All right, well, I'm going to skip over a bunch of things uh, here and just kind of jump into some um, 
very practical things, right? Three, four minutes of practical things, then we're going to have a panel. My goal is to get out of here around 7.15, so give you guys a, a framework there. So what do women do in the life of the church? What do women do in the life of the church? Number one, you exercise the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Every single Christian, this is our job. Our job is to affirm who is and who is not a Christian, right? This is what we do when we, can, we, we come together and we, we, we vote to bring people into membership and to cast them aside, to, to live out the one another's, encouraging, exhorting, praying, loving one another. Your job is to exercise the keys of the kingdom of heaven, to making sure who is and who is not a Christian. Uh, your, your job as women is to teach Right? is to teach other women. We see that very clearly in Titus chapter 2, to train women uh, in the way that they should, uh, how they should live in a manner that would please the Lord. Uh, many ways you teach and, and train children in the home and in, in the life of, of the church. Right? That is a very common thing. Uh, not only do you teach what, uh, um, uh, children and women, but you also just are, are godly encouragers and, and, and those who have conversations with, with men in our congregation. Right? If you look through the scripture, there are women who uh, instruct and help men understand theology better. Uh, some of the conversations I've had with the women in the life of this church have helped my own thinking in theology. Right? Have my own thinking in terms of how to better care and shepherd and love this church. Right? So we don't want to dismiss that. Okay? So uh, where I am in terms of that uh, complementarian conversation, the broader than they are, I'm a broad complementarian uh, uh, pastor, I would say our elder board would, would follow along the same lines. Uh, so we're, the way we apply 1 Timothy um, 2, 1 through 12, specifically 12 and uh, 12 through 15, is that we want um, uh, women to actively teach our other, to, to teach other women and to teach children, right? But we want to kind of stop that right at middle school, okay? And here's why, Okay. When, when young men and young women are entering into adulthood, right, we want to model God's creative order in their classes, right? This is not a thus saith the Lord, right? I think that you can make an argument at 18 or 19 or 20 when, you know, or, or when people are out of the house, there's a lot of different, what is a man? What is a woman? What, what age requires someone to be a man? What age requirement someone to be a woman? There's, there's some conversations we can have there. Uh, but for me, when we're trying to train a young woman or a young man to be a man and to be a man, what is it? We want to model that in the home, right? So we want husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church. We want wives to submit and respect their husbands, right? Because that communicates the gospel to their children in the home. We want the same thing to happen in the church, Right? Uh, so we want men and women to reflect that creative order in the life of the church. Hopefully that they can see through that to the gospel. Uh, as, a, as, a, as a dad of, of two girls, I want my girls to learn what it means to be a woman by watching the godly women in our congregation, right? I want them to have mothers and sisters in the church that can teach and train them in that way. We want to leverage God's creative design for the order and structure of our congregation, um, I didn't go there, but 1 Corinthians chapter 11 uh, talks often of how women are called to pray and prophesy in the church. Uh, it's talking about head coverings in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We won't go into the details there, but I think the implication is that men and women both prayed and prophesied in the church, right? We have no idea what prophesy means. I don't think anybody really does, uh, but we know that women should be praying. We have women pray often on Wednesday night. 
uh, one of the things that we did into the life of the church, adding a side uh, reading stand and a side place where people can pray and kind of elevating the, the, the preaching of the word. The only thing that happens at the pulpit now is the preaching of the word so that we have the potential to, to have women read and pray during our services. Now, we're still struggling with elders, and how does that, that look? Is that okay to say? We're trying to figure some of that out in our own conversations. Uh, asking ourselves uh, an authority, an exhortation, what does that look like? Is it authoritative when someone reads the scriptures uh, publicly? Or is the authority in the word itself? What does exhortation look like for the life of the body? We're wrestling and asking ourselves those questions because we want to be a church that, that's what? Biblical. We just want to be faithful to the word of God. And we're wrestling with those things on how we can shepherd. Uh, in the life of our church, we are actively trying to disciple our women. We're having that as a regular conversation. Uh, some of the ways that we, we have done that in the past, we've had women's discipleship class. So you think about our kind of a two-year approach. We had a women's discipleship class, reading theology, getting women a chance to teach, giving them critique, um, so that we could have women's Bible studies together, right? Um, and what, what kind of happened, and COVID kind of canceled a lot of that. We were having women's Bible studies, having the WMU, having some really good conversations. Uh, but I think what we were doing maybe wrongly is that we were taking women away from their families too much. Uh, so COVID kind of has corrected that, and now we're rethinking, how does that look? How do we care and shepherd the lives of our, our women? Uh, we are actively working on trying to create more of a formal track for uh, an, an internship where women can kind of dive deep into theology uh, in the life of our church, maybe something similar of our, our pastoral internship that we have here, uh, something very more, more uh, tangible just geared towards women and learning and discipling, uh, learning God's word and better implied uh, impact in the world. Um, we also have our Generation Link internship over the summer, which allows our, especially our young people and to, to both men and women to be trained and discipled in uh, theology and the scriptures. So all that to say is that there's many things that we are thinking and praying through as elders, right? Uh, we are wrestling with these ideas and trying to be the most faithful church. But just hear loudly and clearly that just because we um, uh, may not agree on everything, that doesn't mean that we are against anybody, right? right? We, we need to be for one another. Uh, so we as elders, I am your pastor, are for you women, Right? And we want you women to be for the church and for uh, the elders as we think and we wrestle through this. And, and when we disagree on maybe some of the forest issues and maybe some of the tree issues, that's okay. We have to be gracious and charitable with one another because we don't have it all figured out. Do we? Nobody has it all figured out. But what do we do? We go back to the word of the Lord. We wrestle with the scriptures and we ask God to reveal by his spirit to form and to shape us that we can be more faithful to him. So what we're going to do now, I'm going to, I'm going to invite up uh, John Whitaker. John's going to be taking our questions tonight. You have his number back here. I'm going to invite up uh, Sharon Doster and Ka uh, Catherine Mendez. And we're going to kind of just answer some, some questions that you may have. I, again, we've got about 25 questions that were sent in over the last month. Uh, we had that. You guys can come on up now. Um, so... Uh, come on up. And uh, so feel free to, to ask questions if you feel you want to text questions to, to, to John Whitaker. We may not get to every answer tonight, um, but we, we, what we try to do is, thank you, um, on Monday, May 10th, we'll have kind of a, a more informal um, uh, discussion on um, 
with just the ladies of the church, right? So the ladies can kind of have more dialogue about these things, a little bit more back and forth. Uh, I'll be there to kind of listen and to learn, uh, but won't be the one moderating uh, that conversation. So May 10th will be another time to kind of continue to kind of carry on this conversation. So I'll turn it over to John to, to kind of lead us out. Am I, am I working? Can you hear me? Good. Can you grab the microphones, John? Red and yellow. If you see me looking at my phone, it's because questions are coming in. Uh, so I just want to say, first of all, thank you. You know, uh, not always an easy topic. You know, to talk about things that are maybe controversial or could cause the division in the church. So thank you for, you know, being teaching the text and uh, leading us biblically. Uh, but first, I'd like to uh, talk to you all. Uh, first thoughts, maybe give a little bit of who you are and maybe how the talk, maybe your first takes from the talk. Hello, um, my name is Caterine Gomez-Mendez, and I think that I'm very grateful, um, one, to be here, and I'm very grateful that uh, you are having this conversation because it is something that is one very dear to my heart. Um, just coming from the other view, and I'm sorry because I, again, um, I'm, this is very dear to my heart and also I'm nervous. So, um, coming from a feministic view, um, from social work and just my upbringing, Everything that uh, Titus 2 mentions, I was contrary to that. And the Word of God, what is truth, is what we need to be washed with in order to be able to walk out what Pastor Dave was mentioning. I'm Sharon Doster. Um, my husband is one of the elders here at Park. Um, we will celebrate 44 years of marriage in June. Um, it has been wonderful. It really has. Um, and this is also a dear topic uh, because I have grandchildren. I have granddaughters. And I'm not very excited about their future. They need to be grounded in the Word. Um, and this is wonderful to be able to talk about it. So let me ask but just... Why are you not, you're concerned maybe about some things. You mentioned that being in social work and then you're concerned about your daughters. Maybe what is, what, what, what is that dear, near, near to your heart? Why is it so important to you personally? Our culture is a mess. And I feel like um, unless our children and our grandchildren are grounded in the word and in a church that teaches the word, um, they will be influenced by who knows what. And so I feel like we, as a body, need to be talking about these things <clears throat> and um, praying for our, our children, not just our, our daughters, not just our granddaughters, but all of our children, that they would grow up to love the Lord Jesus and walk with him and be an influence in their culture. Yep. I would say because um, it's God's design and 
in order for us to be able to walk that out. Um, and for those that don't know the Lord, you know, it, we, can't, we can't see the, the example of Christ and the church if we are not living out his perfect order. And being a mother also, um, I think that there are, there are many things that I needed to repent of um, just because I did not want to deal with my own sin. And as the Lord has been renewing my mind and, you know, but that only happens through his grace, you know, um, by the faith that I have professed in Jesus Christ. Um, but pastor was talking about today, um, we are to be uh, bearers of, of Christ and when we're sharing his truth, we're, when we're being those Christians that are maybe being an example to another so that they may also be brought to life. And if I am stuck in my own garbage, um, my own sin, I'm not good to anybody. And the Lord has really been dealing with me um, severely of just bringing this discipline of me being able to see that I don't want to be myself, my flesh. I want to be who he has called me to be. And That's good. Um, so the goal is to be done around, around 7.15. We have a lot of questions. So I'm going to ask maybe just maybe one of you to answer these questions. Maybe look to each other and kind of, okay, yeah, I'll take this one. Uh, so first one, what are some opportunities you've seen uh, for women to use your spiritual gifts in the church? Um, there have been, not committees really, but uh, teams that have been established um, where women uh, who have a spiritual gift can join a team. Um, for instance, Rachel Brazell and I are over um, the prayer and encouragement team. And that has been wonderful um, because there are women who talk to each other, um, not just on Sunday, but we send texts to each other and ask for prayer. Um, and then we, you know, we also say, this is how the Lord answered this prayer. Um, so things like that. There are um, women who have gifts, who have encouraged others. You know, um, Paige has done a, a book study because she's very, very interested in that, in, yeah. in helping, and Stephanie Forrester and, you know, others. Yeah. So. That's good. Yeah, so for our, for our women's ministry, so you know, we have kind of broken down our women's ministry into teams, in discipling, into serving and caring, reaching out to, uh, to prayer. So there's an active group of women leaders who are trying to help minister, care for our women, disciple them, and that is kind of overseen by the elders. But besides just those formal things, there are plenty of opportunities every single week to serve and love one another. Dave, let me help you out. What about for young teenage women? Like, so not an adult, just teenagers trying to, it's like, what is my role? How, what are the opportunities I can do to serve? Uh, yeah, so I think if you're young teenage girls, there's opportunities to serve every single week and just being present in the body of Christ, uh, to, to care about those who are different than you, to love and those who are, who are older. Uh, there's opportunities to serve behind the scenes, whether that's, uh, with, um, you know, preparing, helping to clean the sanctuary to, to running sound in terms of formal things, but just really just being present, reaching out to uh, other teens in your, um, in your classes, uh, encouraging and asking maybe ways you can pray for uh, a, a mom that you know in the church. Uh, there's ways that you can say, hey, can I go into your house and help 
uh, help you watch your kids so you can have more time cleaning. There's lots of different things that you can, you can do, but you, you, just, you may have to be a little bit more creative. Um, how are, we kind of hit this, how are older women teaching younger women in the church? Uh, Titus 2. Um, through everything that we do, um, I think that many times we think that it is limited to having to have a certain type of profession or, or having a title in church, and it's not about that. It's about living our lives on a daily basis. Um, maybe, you know, I got married very young, and I see other young women that were so blessed uh, to have young couples that have just gotten engaged, and maybe they don't know how to cook. You know, I know how to cook. Um, so that's a way to be able to show love. That's a way to be able to help them engage. Um, and the whole point is it's not just, yes, it's pointing them to the word, to the scripture, but it's living the gospel. And that is in everything that we do. Pastor had mentioned about everything we do to be done, you know, Christ-centered. And so our worldview should be biblical, everything that we do. That's good. Um, how should men and women abide by typical societal gender roles? Does the scripture promote an idea of a woman as a homemaker? So I would just say this, that uh, gender and society roles are always going to be changing based on the culture, right? So you'll be very careful on abiding by gender uh, and societal roles, right? Uh, some societies, they are going to maybe resemble more of what the scriptures would teach. In other societies, they would not, right? Uh, so even in our day, what you see a, a happening a lot in the gender of our societies is not always healthy, right? So we should be very careful that we are going to be influenced by society. Uh, so uh, the second question uh, Sharon was going to answer. Does, does the scripture promote the idea of women as only housemakers? Oh, as Home only, homemakers, not only homemakers. homemakers. I didn't hear that before. Yes. Um, <laughs> I... I would strongly recommend that if a woman is able to stay at home, stay at home. Um, your children, they are such precious gifts and you don't want other um, people to influence them in an ungodly manner, if at all possible. Um, also, you're there for your husband. I know that there are families that cannot um, they have to have a, a two-income home. And, you know, I wouldn't say that that is anything negative. You know, it's not a sin. Um, but if you're able to get out of debt, if you're able to um, work in the home, I think that would be the most beneficial. But you wouldn't say the scripture promotes the idea that a woman... Can only be a homemaker. No. No. Yeah. So I don't. I don't think the women. Uh, I don't think the Bible promotes that women should only be homemakers, right? But I think the Bible does teach that women should be homemakers, right? Women should cultivate a, a godly home, right? If you look at Proverbs thirty-one, the picture of that that virtuous woman is a woman who cares well for her home, cares well for her children. They rise up and call her blessed. So, even though it may not be uh, a woman is only going to be in the home, you can be a homemaker without being the one who only stays at home, yeah. right? So you should be one that helps to cultivate godliness in your home with your children and husband. Here's a good question. Do women need to study theology? Absolutely. Good. I had, excuse me. <laughs> I had a woman um, say to me one time, well, I'm not a theologian like you. 
And my first thought was, well, why not? You know, you, you are a believer. Why don't you study the word? Um, it's not, a theologian doesn't get up and preach. You know, a theologian studies the word, and we all should be. Yeah, and I think if you look at 1 Timothy 2, notice like what verse 11 says, let a woman learn. The Bible says it right there. Women should learn uh, because they're called to be forming the image of Christ. Renew your mind <laughs> to, be, to be like Christ. So if you're not studying theology and you're not studying God's word, uh, I, would, I would chastise you, uh, ladies. Study God's word. Become a, a rich thinker in, in the things of God. How are women supposed to be courageous and bold and yet also at the same time be gentle and quiet in spirit? How do they balance that? How do they do both? I'm still trying to walk that out. (laughs) (laughs) Grace. You know, we are, it's a process. And um, I think that one thing that definitely um, can hinder that is our our competition women you know we compare ourselves to each other and we think that being quiet and gentle is you have to keep your mouth shut you can't say anything you speak too loud you you're you know yes there's an order in the lord but as you continue to learn from the word so we can't do anything that theologian part right we can't do anything if we don't know i can't um help a woman continue in the ways of the Lord if I don't know what's in the word. And so that is, it's a process, you know, and, and showing that grace. I don't think that there is a cookie cut way for, you know, what the boldness look like. There can be quiet strength just as much as there could be a loud strength. It, it depends on, you know, what's the context, what is, you know, what's the, the reason for it. I can, you know, pull my son back from going out into the street, you know, or, I see somebody that's going to injure someone else and I run, you know, so I, I think that also um, the Holy Spirit directs us in what that gentle spirit looks like. Yeah, and I would just add, I think it's important, this is where the, the, the relationship with other women is important, right, is to ask them, how do you think I'm doing living out the Christian life? Am I going too far in my, in my boldness? Do you think that that is not that accurate? Do you think, do I need to, how do I, how, how do you see a, a quiet and gentle spirit in me, right? So I, I don't think that we are, we often don't often see that in ourselves, but maybe we need others in our lives, maybe even our husbands, if, if you're married, uh, godly friends, ask those kind of questions so that they can give you that kind of counsel. And a quiet and gentle spirit does not mean that you don't have an opinion. I mean, my husband and I discuss things, and if I have a differing opinion, we discuss it again. And, you know. <laughs> Here, here's my next question. Explain and unpack biblical submissiveness. So how, you're talking about you and your husband talking about that. Play that out for us. Okay. Um, there, are t- there are times when we will have a discussion and I will um, give him my input. And if he doesn't really agree with it, he'll think about it, and I will back off. And I'll just say, you know, Lord, you will direct his path, and so I don't need to say anything else. Hmm. And I wait, and then sometimes later on, he'll say, you know, I think we really ought to... And it was my idea, 
<laughs> and he'll say, <laughs> no, I don't rub it in. Um, but <laughs> um, we do, we do discuss a lot of things. Um, and there are times when he does agree with me and it does work out very well. And I'll say, see, you should listen to your wife. <laughs> no. Um, it's very, very easy to be submissive, to want to serve a man that loves you. And I know he does. Mm. It's very easy. It's not easy for me. <laughs> I am very prideful. Um, and when I was going over this with Pastor Dave and Sharon and Wit, it was just even thinking about it, you know, I think there's one thing of um, grieving for your sin, over your sin. And um, I've been a very prideful person. And um, the example that you, that you present to your children, you know, what they're looking at, um, even, you know, as a Christian, because I think what asked me was this before you were a Christian, and no, the struggle as a Christian, um, but the, the gospel, um, you know, it's easy to wallow in what your sin is, it's easy to wallow in, you know, um, I'm right, my emotions, you hurt me, you did this, you know, and we see God um, being very distant from those issues, um, I, I'm thankful that I could say that I know that the Lord is changing me, um, but biblical submission, you know, it's not something that we're born learning, you know, we are definitely, you know, in the process, and, and I hear sometimes, and this is why it's so important with our sisters in the church, because I've heard other sisters, the same things that I've said, and I may say something, but I fall too, you know, and I need, I need to be able to continue to grow and to know that I haven't arrived, you know. Um, I, you can ask my husband, you know, many times, especially even coming up, knowing that you're coming up here, it's like, oh my gosh, God, I can't fail you, you know, but then we fall again. So, you know, it is a constant repenting and believing that, um, biblical submission is because we are submitting first to the Lord, you know, and understanding why we're doing it. You know, it's not just, it's not for him, you know, it's for him. And that stirs me to be like, you know what, forgive me. I, I'm a sinner too, you know, and, um, and so it is, it's a work in progress. And I would just add that um, biblical submissiveness is not limited to women. The Bible talks often about all of God's people are called to submit, right? So, honoring those who are in authority, right? Maybe the, that verse at the end of Ephesians 5, 31, let the wife see that she respects her husband. There's, a, there's, a, there's an effort there, right? Uh, so I think that you maybe see the same thing in 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, honor those who, who are over you in the Lord, esteem them highly with honor for their work of labor and love for you. Like we're all called to live out biblical submissiveness in some fashion or another. Um, how can a woman spend her life in ministry and not just do that as an overseas missionary. Where are other ways she can spend her life doing ministry? And I think maybe the aim here is vocational. Yeah, can I say this is one area that I think the church is failing in, right? Uh, and I don't know how, how to solve it yet. Um, 
but I think that we should be thinking about how can we deploy women in the church to mentor and disciple and live out their calling as Christians in the church, right? Uh, I don't think that we're doing that well. Uh, broadly as evangelicals, uh, us in particular, I know we, we thought about it a couple years ago. We created kind of a pastoral assistant position. At the same time, we also created a women's kind of, uh, the same kind of role for women. We haven't hired either one of those, but we're, we're thinking that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, sadly, what typically happens, um, I shouldn't say sadly, but this is just what has typically happened for women uh, they don't find a place in the church, so they go to the parachurch, right? And they look for opportunities, whether that's uh, campus ministries or uh, other, other, other ministries that may be more open to having women, uh, women serve. So I think it's something we have to wrestle with, right? Uh, because women are indispensable for the life of the church, right? And we need more godly women who care about the local church to give themselves to it. Um, so, and not just in, in administration and not just in caring for children, but in caring for the larger, uh, you know, uh, ministry of the church. So uh, it's hard right now, right? Uh, I think there are opportunities, but that you have to do a little digging to find them. So uh, you kind of mentioned this in your talk, but how do members avoid being suspicious of the, maybe the narrow, the, the question is more primary for the narrow, but in general, how do we avoid being suspicious of one another with our views of complementarianism? Yeah, I think that one of the best things you could do is have conversations, have face-to-face conversations, right? Because, um, and even in this talk, I mean, you know, we said it earlier, but if, getting up and doing a talk like this and even saying certain things, you start to almost tense up. <laughs> like, oh, here it comes. And I don't want these people to mishear me. I want them to know that I love them and I care for them. And our culture has not trained us well to disagree. Because if we disagree in our culture, what? You hate me. If you don't agree with everything, then you hate me, and then I'm going to close myself off from you. And you just can't do that. You have to open up and have conversations with people and have dialogue, right? That's humility, right? And that's loving and caring and serving one another, right? Um, And after this talk, if even things I said, if women here don't feel like they can come and talk to me about things that I said, that would be a travesty to me. That'd be a travesty. No, we want to open our dialogue and think and shepherd and, you know, I'm going to ask you probably specifically, hey, what did you think about this? And what could I have said better? Um, but yeah, we, we, you got to have conversations, right? Um, and both sides, right? Not from, from the broad to the narrow, narrow to the broad. Let's continue to, to work and whatever, you know, what you believe about the scriptures. Either way, you want to highlight and celebrate and rejoice in the gift that women are to the church, right? So I think both can help each other do that. Do you think compromising on gender roles in the church can lead to other things? church, homes, etc. So maybe compromising a biblical perspective, you would say, on this idea. Where are the maybe effects that we may see in other places? <laughs> I just gave a long answer. Go ahead, guys. Yeah, so um, where do you think compromising on maybe biblical truths of gender roles in the church? So if we compromise there, where may it go to other places? That was one of the questions asked. Yeah, so this is the slippery slope argument. If, if, you, if you slip here, where, where are you going to go? Um, now, there are, there are historical examples here, right, uh, of denominations that they will say, well, if we, if we, we move from, uh, we kind of started to get fuzzy on um, women's roles in the life of the church, right, and maybe kind of allowing them to become pastors and, and, and to teach publicly. A lot of those mainline denominations that went that direction also went farther into liberalism, and started denying other aspects of the scriptures. 
Um, so uh, complementarian, I think, is a biblical uh, idea, right? I think it's, we see it in First Timothy. I think we see it in Ephesians. And if you deny biblical fidelity, which I think is what happens, then other areas get loose, right? So if, if, if Ephesians 5 and 1 Timothy 2 are cultural and we don't tie them to creation, um, well, what happens is, is then, well, 1 Corinthians 6 about homosexuality is cultural, right? That thing, that, that's the argument, right? So I think that their, their potential is for lots of potential problems, not necessarily merely on gender, but maybe on biblical interpretation and, you know, our trust in the Word of God. Um, so, and, and I do think that there's something in, um, in a marriage, for example, when a husband loves his wife well, it communicates the gospel to the, to the family and to the world, mm. right? So I think it does, in some sense, cover up or block or hinder people from seeing uh, Christ and the gospel. Uh, you did hit this, but just really quickly, when can a woman teach in mixed company and when can they not? <laughs> uh, yeah, so this, 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 is, no, no, this is fine. It's, it's, it's a good question, right? So I think that you have to do, like, where, where is the Bible specific, right? Uh, I think the Bible is, is, I think, is clear, right, when it comes to uh, authority in the home, right? Husbands and, and husband is the head of the wife. I think, I think it's pretty clear. I don't think you can misinterpret that. I think 1 Timothy 2 is going to be harder in terms of the applications of that principle, right? Is it okay for a woman to... Um, to teach in mixed company in, in, a, in a Sunday school class in the church? What about at a home group, right? Uh, what about in a non-church gathering or a, a parachurch gathering at a conference or different things like that? I think the, the, the farther you get from the local gathering on Sunday morning, right, we should probably be a little bit more, chari- have a little bit more charity with people who disagree with us, right? Um, you know, for me, I'm going to probably still try to apply my broad principle, right, of not having women teach in mixed company, still right around that, that middle school age, right? That's kind of where I'm going to cap it because I, I'm trying to, to not confuse young men and young women when it comes to gender. I see a lot of confusion in our world. I don't want to confuse them anymore. I want everything they see in the church and in the home to model, right, what God create, God's creative design is. So... Um, so I would probably apply it more broadly in other settings, right, in the church and outside the church in terms of where I think I would feel comfortable with it. Now, again, notice what I just said, where I would feel comfortable with it. I don't think I can make a biblical argument in every setting that this is unbiblical, right? Mm-hmm. I could say it's probably um, atypical from the scriptures, right? I could say it's maybe imprudent to do so. Um, but maybe I'm, I'm going to hold my arms up and say, okay, I don't want to push and say you are going against the scriptures and diso- your disobedience and sinning by doing that. So if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, could you offer some wisdom on just I mean, the, the text, right? Dressing modestly, costly attire. How, how do we think through that, right? Because it's a lot of options with clothing. You go to Target, you know, look at clothing. How, how, do, we, how do we think about modesty and costly attire? Yeah. <laughs> I wore a gold yeah. belt, so I was like, oh, man. <laughs> Your hair is not braided. I think um, that can be confusing. You know, uh, I liked what you said about the being adorned or adorning the gospel. Um, 
you know, we, we wrestle with things that can be legalistic, you know, of how you, you dress. You know, I guess if you're, if you're dressing for, who are you dressing for? You know, um, whose attention are you seeking? You know, are you dressing for your spouse? Are you dressing for church members? Are you dressing for other people? You know, who are you dressing for? And I guess, you know, the, the asking yourself the question, Lord, is this okay? You know, um, we don't have many dialogues sometimes with the Father, you know, of, of our daily life or of the things that we do. And um, there are many times where I'm like, babe, is this okay? <laughs> you know, um, I ask him. And Babe. sometimes I don't agree, <laughs> you know, but, but then I'm like, ah, yes, Lord, I'm sorry, forgive me. So, you know, it's, it's that constant um, struggle. But, you know, again, if what we are doing is to adorn the gospel and if we're doing it for the Lord's glory, then that's our final answer. And, and I think that as we continue to ask that question of him, you know, um, the Holy Spirit does examine our hearts mm -hmm. as to why we're doing certain things, yeah. everything. And I, I would just add, guys, this is going to be one of the biggest issues you'll face, right? Not necessarily on specific clothing, but your view of, of, of your image. Because there's so many images out there on social media and what you think is beautiful and attractive. Um, there's so many things that are coming at women and young girls, right? I think that they feel like there's this extra pressure to look a certain way. Um, uh, so I think, I, I don't think necessarily costly apparel is there, but the, the, it, parents, talk to your kids about beauty, talk to your kids about image. It's going to be a huge, yeah. huge issue. And I probably it's, it's affected you probably even more than you realize. That's good. Uh, kind of back to uh, the question before, just, but usually we talk about in the home, right? husband, wife, uh, a son, a daughter, right? A family of four, beavers kind of thing, you know. Or, but no, but like, what about a mother having authority with her adult son? Or what if they're a single mom and, and their children? How do they think through that of, what does authority look like for a mom in that area? I would say if it's a single mom, she should probably approach um, men in the church and ask if they would come alongside mm. and spend time with the son. Um, she still has the, the authority in the home as long as he's living there, but um, I think if she can have men come in who will have a, a godly, godly influence on her son, mm. that would be the best thing. Children are called to submit to their parents, so moms and dads are both have the authority over their children. Um, what is the difference between women ministering and women's ministries? And can women ministries or men ministries lead to division? Depends on what's being taught. <laughs> you know, I, I, they're supposed to be to edify the church, to strengthen the relationships, to do what Titus 2 says for the older women, to teach the younger women, um, to love their husbands, love their, I mean, yeah, love their husbands, love their, their children, um, to walk together, to take them by the hand, to encourage them, um, you know, to, to stimulate each other in the gospel. 
um, and to go contrary to what the world is saying. Um, I think that many times, you know, in the past, you know, even um, when, when we had started doing Bible studies, I didn't like Bible studies because I, my experience with Bible studies were everybody gave their own opinion. And, you know, it's, sometimes that's not very helpful just to give an opinion. I, I want to know, Lord, you know, tell me in the word, what is it that I am doing? Um, because we all have opinions, you know, through our own experiences. And so I think we have to be careful that the women's ministry is submitting to the vision of the house, you know, and that we are in line with whatever it is that the pastor is saying. And he has to be completely involved in everything that's being done within the m women's ministry. That's good. Um, so you mentioned that you and the elders are broad complementarian. Would you say we are a broad complementarian church? That's uh, it's a harder question to answer. I think that we're going to try to teach that and apply the, the broad complementarian principles and how we live out our life together as a church. Uh, probably would be the vision of the elders. Um, saying that, meaning that, yes, we are going to welcome into to fellowship people who may not agree with us in particular with that but we would just let them know that if they didn't hold that view when they joined the church, this is where we are, and we'd want to make sure that you knew this is how we're going to live out uh, our calling. So we would probably not have them teach uh, a contrary view uh, publicly in the life of the church. So uh, so we, are, we would probably teach it, but, of course, open to fellowship with anybody. Uh, is there a... There's, there's two questions because we're kind of out of time here. Uh, first one, are there any objections to having women deacons? Biblically, as a church, I I would say that women should serve, and they don't necessarily need a title. Um, we should all be serving, but if a woman can serve without um, having that, you know. Uh, yeah, so the, the answer is yes and no, right? So in Acts chapter 6, the establishment of deacons, they said choose among you seven men, right, full of the spirit and wisdom. Um, so they, that's the, the start of deacons. They, they chose seven men at first. Um, 1 Timothy 3, verse um, 12, no, 8, it says women likewise. The word women there could be wives, or sorry, wives could be women. This is likewise wives should be women. Uh, in terms of that's what the Greek word used. Uh, Phoebe in Romans 16.1 says the deaconess. So uh, there's an argument that you can make that women can be a formal office of deacon, um, you know, as long as they're not violating 1 Timothy 2 in terms of exercising authority uh, over something. Mm. Uh, so if a, if a deacon is more service-oriented for a specific task, serving, uh, I don't see there would be a biblical uh, problem with it. Um, but I, I don't think it's as, as clear-cut. Um, so there's an argument on both sides. So... Um, so this will be our closing question. Maybe we can go down and each of you give your answer. Uh, how can men practically assist and exhort sisters in Christ to glorify God uh, in their roles as a church member? Let's start. With yeah, I would say, uh, first of all, men, we need to love and honor our women, right? Uh, if we're not loving and honoring our, our, our women in our church, both our wives, our daughters, and, and our sisters uh, in Christ, and then we are failing, Right. Uh, so ask uh, how they're doing, listen to them, care for them, uh, don't be suspicious of them, like love and honor and serve them, uh, engage, their, engage their mind, engage their heart as, as, as a good brother uh, in Christ, right? So we should uh, exhort them. When we see them 
thriving and flourishing and serving, we should tell them, hey, thank you for, for doing that. Uh, and thank you for serving. And we rejoice uh, in, those, in those gifts. So look for opportunities to exhort and encourage. That's our calling as Christians to one another. So uh, yeah, so I think that, um, you, know, you know, in all my research on this stuff, guys, um, the thing that grieved my heart the most was how women have experienced um, mistreatment from, from men in the church. I, I, can, I can expect mistreatment from men in the world. They're called to do that. But men who've been born again by the Spirit to mistreat women and seeing the pain that that's caused and um, maybe the, the smothering of them and helping them thrive as, as Christian women in, in the church, that's just really hurtful. Uh, so I think that we can reorient their view of their past hurt by being men who love and, and cherish and, and, and care for and exhort uh, the women in our congregation. That's great, Pastor Dave. Um, being a person that has felt the way that he has, I have to say, I mean, that this church has really um, exemplified that in many ways um, of just really loving. I've felt extremely loved in this church, and um, and that helps a woman to be able to feel um, appreciated. You know, when women are looking at the world and seeing the treatment of women, you know, I think that my reason for being having been such a feminist was because no man's going to tell me what to do. You're not going to treat me like this. You're not going to. I'm going to. And that is a distortion, you know, and when we don't see things lined up the way that they are biblically, um, yes, you can fall into, you're going to demand, you know, this uh, better treatment that you never get. So it's, it's a false thought that you are actually going to receive better treatment outside of what we should receive within the church walls. And, you know, so I, you know, I exhort you to continue to do what you're doing you know, um, and to do it well for the Lord. I think Sunday school is a wonderful place for women to feel like the things they have, they have been studying um, in their opinion, maybe, um, is valid and they're able to speak up and um, it's, it's just very, very good atmosphere for a woman to feel like I'm part of this discussion. It's not just a man standing up there mm -hmm. and teaching, but you know, being involved. And another thing, Pastor Dave has texted me several times and just asked my opinion. And I know I'm not the only one he does, he does that with, but that's very encouraging. Um, you know, just to feel like the pastor is asking me what I think about buying a rug. <laughs> you know, it's it's just something simple, but to me, it's very important. Thank you. Mm. Uh, well, uh, let's close. Let's pray, and then uh, anything after this, where you dismissed? Uh, yeah, just encourage you to grab those uh, books in the back. If there's none out there, we'll put some more out there. And again, uh, if you have more questions, feel free to, to send them into Wit. We might have a follow-up uh, podcast in in a couple weeks. And also May 10th uh, in the evening, uh, the, during the WMU normal time, there'll be another discussion like this, more back and forth among the ladies. Awesome. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, you. Uh, we thank you, Father, for the Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit. And we see 
uh, Lord, uh, three persons, one God, uh, different roles working together to bring glory to you, Lord. And that's what we pray, God, that you would get all the glory everywhere, that every knee will bow, Lord, and every knee will bow here at Park Baptist Church as we do our best, Lord. Not perfectly, but, Lord, our best, that we would honor you and glorify you, Father. Uh, man, woman, child, all of us working together, Lord, to bring you honor and glory uh, from here in Rock Hill to the ends of the earth. I thank you, Father, for the women in the church and how they have served and cared and uh, brought wisdom, Lord, uh, and, and love to the people here. Encourage them, Lord. Build them up, Father, and help them continue to do what they are doing, Lord, uh, that uh, this generation and the next and the next, Lord, would be uh, men and women who honor each other and glorify you. Uh, that Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection may be proclaimed here to the ends of the earth. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Thank you, guys. Thank you.